The Start On Demand. On demand. New restrictions that take effect today in Manitoba mean certain food service establishments like Kingshead Pub will have to close their dining room. So we'll speak to the owner of Kingshead Pub to find out what they're doing, what their latest pivot is as we continue to navigate the pandemic. A top Winnipeg doctor has taken to TikTok to debunk some mask myths and try to reach out to Manitoba's youth. And a crazy story out of Edmonton. A car smashed into three homes on Saturday night. No one was hurt. It was an incredible close call. And that led to some amazing stories from you on Close Calls. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, October 19th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on a Monday morning. Although, Greg, as you just pointed out, it barely looks like morning. Looks like the middle of the night, just darker, later. And I suppose if there's one good thing about the upcoming time change is the fact that we'll flip the clocks back so the sun will come up a little bit earlier in the morning. It'll get dark earlier, but for us selfishly, at least for me, It'd be nice to see the sun rise a, a tad bit earlier, or an hour earlier to be exact, at least for a few days. But you like the <laughs> idea of working in the middle of the night. I like the darkness. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I pref- in the summertime, I enjoy the daylight. But uh, right now, I, I find the darkness soothing. I find it relaxing. I don't know. I would be curious to know if there's some sort of a scientific reason for that. I just find I am much calmer. When it is dark outside, so I like the early when when we the clocks flip on uh, Sunday, November first, and we the sun sets earlier. I really enjoy that. I don't know. I'm kind of a weirdo, as uh, Loren can attest to. I I I'm not a fan. I like I don't like the dark. I'm like a child when it's dark out. I'm scared, but I also I I am a fan of talking about the time change because I saw something funny on Twitter this weekend. Someone posted like, "Can we just get back to normal debates? Like, you know, where's the annual why do we turn back the clocks debate right now?" So you know, because people are tired of COVID and there's fatigue and these new restrictions go into effect today, and restaurants are struggling and bars are struggling. And there's all this like, oh, it's so heavy. So someone posted, I can't remember who it was, and they're like, "Can't we just get back to our usual October debate?" And get angry and for the next two weeks about this time change business. And I was like, yes, that would be fun. It'd be fun to go back to 2019, 2019 anger as opposed to 2020 stuff. Oh, I'd love to just debate the best Halloween candy and have <laughs> yeah. that be the biggest topic of the day. What I wouldn't do for that sort of thing. So that's a, a valid point for sure. Well, that's probably a conversation we'll end up having having anyway in the coming weeks. Yeah, but it won't be the most important discussion of the day. We can, I mean, we can like make we, it the most we, we've important done discussion. It, I think for the past two years, time change, at least since I've joined the show, has completely derailed at least one, if not two days in October or into November, right? So maybe we should just decide, let's commit to that. We're not going to, we're just going to double down until that clock doesn't turn back. How's that sound? That sounds really good. I can tell you this, you know what makes a great breakfast, lunch and supper? 
Halloween candy. <laughs> this was Greg's Saturday. That was Saturday. We watched uh, five <laughs> movies in my house. I did not take off my pajamas. Five I, movies? Yeah, I went absolutely nowhere. I watched a movie sort of half off and on uh, in the morning, and then we did the uh, Julia Roberts uh, <laughs> double play with uh, Pretty Woman and My Best Friend's Wedding with a touch of dirty dancing in between. <laughs> And then after Jackie went to bed, I stayed up and watched The Trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix. Oh, wow. So, And we ate pretty much an entire box of Halloween candy while doing this. That sounds like a solid weekend. I think I texted you guys Friday night after, um, I don't even know what I was doing. I turned the TV on, the kids were out playing outside, and I noticed Kindergarten Cop was on Netflix. Yes. And, I, and on, so, sure enough, yes, I all weekend long, I was like, does anybody, please, somebody come watch Kindergarten Cop with me. So finally, yesterday around noon, I just put it on and forced the kids to uh, enjoy that one with me. <laughs> you forced them to? Did well, they enjoy it? They did in the end, but it took a while to get them there. And then once they saw those hilarious kids uh, start talking about body parts and saying the things that kindergarten kids say. They, they got it. They got it in the end. Well, the idea, Greg, of sitting around eating Halloween candy and watching movies uh, is kind of, I like the thought of that, especially Friday. Friday, I wrapped up my golf season, at least my outdoor golf season, because there's still virtual golf. But uh, <laughs> I braved the cold on Friday. I got to Can't Kingswood and there were that. eight cars in the parking lot. Even the guys in the pro shop said, you guys are nuts. <laughs> what are you doing? Make sure you bring your mitts. And I had like a winter jacket on. I had four layers. It was uh, it was cold. Did you make it through the entire eighteen holes? We did. I was I was, would have been happy to leave, but my buddy was on fire. He was shooting the lights out, so I thought I better stick it out for him. I I turned in a terrible <laughs> round, and uh, I tried to go to North Face the next day because I I realized I need like sort of an intermediate cold weather jacket. I've got a nice fall coat, but I can't wear that. It's not practical for doing outdoor stuff. So I tried to go to North Face on Grant near Keniston, and uh, there were like 20 people in line outside. I guess everybody's having the same sort of idea as me. It's time to get some winter gear. And I just turned around and left. So that's one of the things that scares me about moving into the next few months is the prospect of having to stand in line sure. in the cold for whatever we need. So. Yeah, no kidding. Do you have your winter tires on your car yet? Not yet. Have you made an appointment, McNabb, to get that done? It just magically go on. I don't know how that happens in our house. Someone takes care of that. It's not me. The tire like, angel? Yeah. Like Elsa, you're like, well, isn't that nice? The tires are on. No, um, <laughs> I, Ryan, my husband does it, so I'm trying to figure out. I should, I should wake him up and ask. I don't when know. is that happening? When is this happening? <laughs> do, is this I, happening? do I need to book an appointment? You're on Maybe that, you right? Ask. Sure. Somebody else on that in this house? Good. Moving have, on. Have you made your appointment, Greg? Or have you made the swap? No, I don't do the swap on my vehicle, but I should make the call on behalf of uh, my better half. Coming up at 6.45, we're going to have a conversation about close calls, and it stems from something that happened in Edmonton this weekend, Loren. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story, and there was obviously some frightening moments for these Edmontonians living in a north side community Saturday night. There was an out-of-control vehicle that crashed into three homes while residents were at home. Global's Chris Shakan reports. It was a crash that startled residents in this northeast Edmonton community Saturday evening. It shakes the house too. The, the accident, it's not like just a bang. It was shaken, so that's why I think that something fell from the sky. A really loud bang. I have family members that were in the garage and they said they heard the garage door shake. 
Edmonton police say a driver first struck a home in the area of 63rd Avenue and 87th Street, then plowed into these two homes along 56th Avenue and 84th Street. Sue Mai says her elderly parents were home at the time and that her dad is lucky to be alive. He typically sits on the living room couch, but when the vehicle tore through, he happened to be in the kitchen. My dad is scared. Very scared. Very, the sound very boom. While their living room is being boarded up, the home next door is also being covered up as it sustained damage. Neighbors say they were frightened for that family's safety. I was shocked <laughs> and wondering uh, if they're hurt or not. The lady was in shock. She was at home. But the husband, he, was, he told me he was at work. They called him and he came back. Police say no one was injured. Welcome news for Dahir Hassan, who lives next to the two homes that were damaged. Now, were you guys scared? Of or course, you? of course, we, we scared after we see the car runs through my parking lot. And when I see the car running, I see that car can come to my house and hit my house too. Police say the driver in her 30s was taken to hospital with minor injuries. Charges against her are pending. The cause of the crash and damage estimate are not known. EPS Major Collisions is investigating. Krisha Khan, Global News. So imagine that, you know, you normally sit on the living room couch, you get up to go to the kitchen for whatever, make a grilled cheese sandwich, I don't know, and a uh, car plows through the, the, the wall where you're normally sitting. Gee whiz, I, you, like, you talk about a close call with incredibly serious ramifications. That is, uh, wow, I, what do you even say to something like that? Do you, do you know, if, you, if you're deeply religious, do you pray even more? Do you become religious if you're not religious? Uh, do you look back at every single thing you did that day and think about, if not for 30, 40, 50, 60 seconds, I would have been sitting right there? That's going to mess with you for a long time, McNabb. The what ifs of that, right? And I think too, the 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 scary, truly scary part about that is that of all the places you really have that expectation of safety, it is just sitting in your home, right? And in your living room and on your couch and watching TV of all the scenarios you imagine that is not one of them. And I can think of the close calls I've had just on roads, right? Where you, you there's a near miss with a car or a deer. And I think about that every time I go down that road. Well, now you're supposed to be in the comfort of your home. Yes. Do you talk about that lingering with you? That will stick with you for some time. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In case you're just tuning in, this is what we were talking about just after 6.15. Sue Mai says her elderly parents were home at the time and that her dad is lucky to be alive. He typically sits on the living room couch, but when the vehicle tore through, he happened to be in the kitchen. My dad is scared. Very scared. Very, the sound very boom. So that was out of Edmonton, where a vehicle smashed into three houses on Saturday night, and thankfully no one was hurt. And you just heard the story of the man who typically is found sitting on the couch in the living room, but he happened to be in the kitchen when the vehicle plowed through the wall. So talk about a close call. So we want to hear your close call stories at 204-780-6868. And we've rounded up the troops, got Jeff Fortier, Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, and uh, Kelly Moore, why don't we start with you? You got a close call story? Oh, I'll tell you. I can't remember how many years ago it was. It was, you know, in the early 2000s for sure. Uh, we were coming home from West Hawk Lake. And uh, it's that area where there are the double lanes on either side of the, the highway. 
And all I remember is we see this car in, in our lane coming at us. And uh, he was being pursued by police. Uh, luckily, he went over to the far curbside, if you will, still approaching us. But I stayed in my lane. I thought, hopefully he knows I'm not going to panic and I'm just going to maintain my course. Well, he did go speeding by us. But literally, we, we felt you know, the impact of him going by us through the wind velocity. And uh, my wife was screaming. I had to pull the, the truck over and just gather my thoughts for a few minutes. But I, I honestly thought we were going to die. Wow. Wow. That is a harrowing story. Jeff Braun, you want to follow that? Sure, why not? Uh, mine's not a driving story, although I do have a few of those. But when I was a little kid, probably about five or six, our family was camping, and there was a, a group of families camping that we knew. And the kids were roasting marshmallows, and another kid, you know, he had finished his marshmallow, but his, the, the poker stick was still, like, glowing red, and he poked me right underneath one of my eyes. Jeez. And it was one more millimeter the wrong way, and, you know, I had, had to apply to pirate school or something <laughs> for the rest of my life. It was, it was that close, and I still have a little, a little scar that shows it. It's just, it was a freaky thing, and my mom still, you know, breaks out in a sweat just thinking about it sometimes. Wow. That reminds me of the time where I think I was six or seven years old. We were at the lake. It may have been West Hawk, and uh, we were sitting around the fire, and my sister pulls a stick out of the fire, and I kind of look over as she's moving it towards me, and I said, what are you doing? And then she just burned my hand. <laughs> <laughs> she knew what she was doing. <laughs> she knew exactly what she was doing. Well, what had you done earlier in the day? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. We were, we were ter- terrible to each other. Forte, what about you? Actually, I'm just remembering a, a story of when me and my cousins were all younger and, you know, our parents were doing some fireworks out in front and there's the, the burning schoolhouse. I believe that's what it was called. Yes. And we didn't know that at the end of it that something shot up. <gasps> so my cousin was kind of leaning over looking down at it and the, this thing just went right by his head. <gasps> so close. What was it? It was, it was a, like fireworks. fireworks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was called, called the fire... The, Burning school, the burning schoolhouse. So you would yeah. burn the schoolhouse down. It was like a one room schoolhouse. I think it had blue bricks and a red roof, okay. and you would burn it down. and And then at the end, it would light up in flames like like a firework. It had a built in firework display. Oh, yeah. And God. so and the fun thing was supposed to be, you know, at the end of the year. I think we usually had one on May long weekend, so not quite the end of the school year, and you'd burn down the schoolhouse, but it was a fireworks display after the schoolhouse had burnt to the ground. <laughs> okay. Uh, Loren McNabb, what about you? Well, I'm going to read a, I have a couple driving stories that I can share later, but I just wanted to read this text from Kevin because it's an incredible story. He was on Highway 44 uh, 25 years ago, east of Beausajur. A truck passed in the same direction, and all of a sudden he says he thought a rock hit his windshield. It hit so hard that it shattered through the first layer of glass and the second layer of glass. It was glass all over the inside of his car and in his hair, and when he took the car into be repaired, MPI asked, how hard did someone hit the windshield because it looked like someone had shattered it with a hammer? Well, he explained what happened and both the MPI adjuster and windshield repair guy figure he was actually hit by a bullet that someone was probably hunting too close to the highway and shot across the road. And he says, if I was a fraction 
of a second faster, just a fraction of a second. That bullet might have gone in somewhere else through the passenger side, perhaps, and hit him. And so he says years later, he still shakes thinking about it. But wow, like that's no of all the things. Again, it gets back to those things of all the things you think could go wrong. That's not a scenario, again, that you picture rock, mm-hmm. sure. Deer, sure. <laughs> bullet, I don't think so on most highways. Well, you can't protect yourself from that either. It's just pure luck. And Greg, you've uh, pulled something about a rather famous close call. Yeah, Seth MacFarlane, most well-known for his TV series The Family Guy, has a tale of how too many pints of beer likely saved his life on 9-11. He was supposed to be on American Airlines Flight 11 on that fateful day in 2001. He shared the story with Piers Morgan on CNN about five and a half years ago. Piers asked him, why weren't you on the plane? Um, a combination of two things. I was uh, I was giving a lecture at my college the night before and went out with some of the faculty afterwards and had had uh, a, f- a few pints. And uh, <laughs> they got drunk. Yes. And uh, and uh, coupled with the fact that my my travel agent had listed the, uh, the the flight on my itinerary as leaving ten minutes later than it did. And and I was you know I was I was generally late for flights. You know I'd missed a lot of flights prior to that, so it wasn't. It wasn't like it was anything crazily out of the ordinary, but I, I got to the uh, uh, counter and, and I said, yeah, I'm booked on flight 11. And, and uh, the woman behind the counter said, you know, sorry, you're too late. They just closed the gate. And I said, all right, well, you know, I'll take the 11 o'clock. Went into the lounge, uh, fell asleep, woke up about 45 minutes later to a, to a commotion. And the first plane had hit and sat there and watched the second plane hit. And they announced what flight it was. And I turned to the guy next to me and... and uh, and said, my, my God, no, that, that was the flight I was supposed to be on. I, I was late. I missed it. What do you say after that? You have to realize that you're leading a blessed life after that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up after Global News at 7.30. We are going to speak to King's Head Pub, one of the businesses affected by these restrictions because they have a beverage room license. They have to shut their doors even though they're a full-service restaurant. So we'll have a conversation with them at 7.37. And keep your text messages coming, 204-780-6868. On your close calls, we are getting some great stories. We'll share a couple of those with you in our next segment. But we start this hour with the fact that it's been three weeks since Winnipeg and the surrounding communities moved to Code Orange on the pandemic response system. So, of course, under Code Orange, masks are mandatory. You can't go into a store without a mask on. You have to wear them in restaurants, at least until you get to your table. They're required in community clubs, curling rinks, skating rinks. And so basically, they're everywhere we go. But three weeks in, I think we all know there are occasions where we have spotted Winnipeggers in stores or other just not wearing them. And we also know that three weeks into this, there are people who are still questioning the value of the mask. And as far as our next guest is concerned, that needs to stop. The start of the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of information on how COVID spread. So medical experts couldn't provide consistent recommendations on face mask use. But the science is now clear. Wearing a face mask can reduce the likelihood of transmission and catching COVID-19. That's the voice of Dr. Gigi Osler. She is a head and neck surgeon here in Winnipeg. She is also the past president of the Canadian Medical Association. And that audio was part of a TikTok video she posted to appeal to Winnipeggers, particularly young Winnipeggers, to put on a mask. Good morning, Dr. Osler. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's always great to speak with you. Uh, TikTok, why that avenue of communication? 
It is um, a social media platform that has a really wide reach and reaches an audience that might not watch the government press conferences every day or watch the news every night. And so we're hearing more calls for uh, doctors and public health experts to get onto these platforms to help spread these public health messages. This is a smart play, too, because TikTok has 800 million users around the world. The app was downloaded, I think, 2 billion times. Uh, So lots Mm -hmm. of people on TikTok. Now, what do you say to Manitobans who are thinking, if masks are effective, why aren't the numbers going down? Well, you know, I'm hearing from a lot of Manitobans and people all over the country that we don't want to go back to more uh, heavy restrictions or back into lockdown, as people say. And, you know, I've seen Manitobans, we've been able to drop case counts before. We've been able to get the virus under control. And so I don't think this is a time for panic, but it is a time to buckle down and to start to follow some of those public health messages. So wearing a mask because it protects you and it protects others, you know, getting tested and staying home if you're sick, uh, and really just being mindful of how much we're going out and in contact with others. So is it the mask that's the issue then, uh, Dr. Osler, for some of our numbers, or is it how we're wearing them or where we're wearing them? Because as Brett alluded to, there is that conversation when people say, well, we've had some restrictions in place for a while now and it's not working, so what are we doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And then, then you also have people say, well, then the mask can't be that helpful because I've been wearing it all the time and people are still getting sick. So is it is it about what kind of mask we're using that's maybe an issue or the fact that we're still gathering maybe and not putting on the mask? What's at play here? Mm-hmm. Well, the data and the science does show that um, you can get rates of covid slowing down when masks are used. And and you just have to look at some of the states in the U.S. or other countries. And wearing a mask not only decreases the risk of transmitting it to others, but there is some emerging science that suggests that if you wear a mask, if you're exposed and get infected, you may have a milder illness simply because of the amount of virus you're exposed to is less. And so, yes, they have to be worn correctly and over the nose and mouth, and you shouldn't be touching them. And the type of mask does make a difference. The more layers of fabric you have, the better. And they're saying sometimes different kinds of fabric in the mask can be helpful. Uh, And I think it just, we have to remember that it's not the only public health recommendation. So it's that close contact for a long period of time without a mask or even with a mask, uh, you have to be mindful of. So public health is still saying, be careful about that close contact, be careful about enclosed spaces. And so masks aren't the only intervention that works, but there's certainly a simple low cost intervention that that can help get COVID cases down. Dr. Osler, did we do ourselves a disservice uh, starting in March? Health Canada, Dr. Tam saying, you know, you don't need to wear a mask. That's not anything we're looking at right now. You don't need to do it. And then as we got closer to the summer, you mentioned the idea that the the notion was that the the virus would be, um, we would prevent spreading the virus to others by wearing a mask. And then now emerging uh, research saying that, that the reverse or the opposite might be true as well, that we might be preventing ourselves. Is it just a case that... 
we needed to learn about the the microbial level and and size of the of this virus and what it would take to help uh, prevent the spread? Is it just uh, longer term research, or or how is it that we've had these uh, changing advice uh, over the last nine months? Mm-hmm. And and you're right. The public health messaging hasn't been consistent from the beginning. But, you know, I always think back to the beginning, and this is an entirely new virus to us. It's an entirely new virus to the body. And so experts are continuing to learn about how it's spread. And the advice about masks continues to evolve. So it's not that they were wrong in the beginning. It's just when the virus started, we didn't have a lot of that information. And we know that the medical grade masks work, but you've heard about the concern about running out of masks and the PPE supply in the beginning. And because there wasn't a lot of studies and and research looking at the effectiveness of cloth masks, public health in different areas were, you know, unsure, should we start to recommend it? But over the course of the virus, we started to hear you know, more observational studies and more lab studies saying that, in fact, cloth masks, if made correctly and worn correctly, could help. Uh, And so I continue to, to, like everybody else, listen to what's going on. There's a lot of um, messaging and noise. And so for me, I'm trying to keep it simple. I know, you know, we in Manitoba want to make sure we have a good winter. We don't want to see our fellow Manitobans get sick. Uh, And so my message to everybody is, you know, wear a mask, get tested, stay home if you're sick, and really think about getting a flu shot this season. Dr. Gigi Osler joining us live on 680 CJOB, a head and neck surgeon here in Winnipeg, also the past president of the Canadian Medical Association. Thank you so much for the time this morning. We very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, last hour we shared a story out of Edmonton about a vehicle that smashed into three homes, and it was a close call. No one got hurt, including a man who normally would be found sitting on the living room couch, but he happened to be in the kitchen at the time the car plowed through the home right where he would have been sitting. And we're asking you to share your close call stories, and Loren, we are getting a ton of good ones so far. Yeah, and some people have more than one. Tony had two stories. He texted to say he lived in Lynn Lake years ago, had just gotten home from picking up his infant daughter, parked the car, went into the house. Not 30 seconds later, a drunk driver plowed into his parked car, totaled it. The driver backed up and and sped away, but he was eventually caught because of the small town. And so Tony's thinking to himself, if 30 seconds, right, that's the difference maker there to him being in that car with his baby daughter and uh, them both being alive and safe in the house. And then he had a second story there, Greg, if you want to read that, uh, on uh, a crazy story that people might actually remember from downtown Winnipeg. That's right. Tony says, when I was a teen, a friend and I went to the old Garrick Theatre downtown. We came out after the movie and were waiting for my friend's parents. We heard a loud boom, which we thought was a car backfiring. Guy came running around the corner and hid behind a fence across from us in a parking lot. Police showed up quickly. He shot at them with a shotgun. They ended up firing back and killed him. When we came out from hiding after the shooting, we noticed shotgun pellet holes on the wall beside us. Close. Turned out he had just killed a cab driver. 
Tony, thank you for sharing those stories. Wow, those are some crazy stories, and we're getting all kinds of crazy stories, and we appreciate you taking the time to type them out and share them, and we're going to continue to share them throughout the day. And at 9.35, sometimes we do this at 9.15, but today, because the stories uh, tend to be a little bit longer because of the circumstances you're sharing, we're going to leave some more room for that at 9.35. So we'll share some more stories at 9.35 and pick our winner in that segment for the Santa Lucia pizza because, hey... Nothing like a bribe to get you to send us those text messages, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Who wants pizza? <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Keep those close call stories coming at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza. But in the meantime, new restrictions go into effect today as the province looks to turn the tide on our COVID-19 numbers. Bars, nightclubs, beverage rooms, and casinos will all close for the next two weeks, and the list of businesses impacted is long, perhaps a lot longer than you might have first thought. Here's the Instagram post from the Kingshead Pub in the exchange, quote, are you confused with the new restrictions? Don't worry, we are too. With the new restrictions, we have just been informed by the LGCA that our temporary dining room license is not able to be used for dine-in purposes. We will not get into the specifics, but the provincial government has crippled us once again. Again, that post was made by the Kingshead and its owner, Chris Graves, joins us now. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Thanks for taking the time. You know, I have to say, and I said this earlier, when I heard about the new restrictions going into place Friday, I didn't picture pubs like yours being on that list. And it turns out you're not alone. There's others like you. So what's the issue here? Is it really just come down to the kind of license you have and there's no way to quickly reapply and change that? Yeah, see, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these laws and rules were, uh, were written were very archaic. Um, I mean, typically, we've been uh, operating as a restaurant uh, for the last four months. I mean, we typically, what our, what our license is, is an entertainment license. So, and a lot of it has to do with so many different situations, has to do with capacity levels, having specific areas for minors, making sure that there's always a place for somebody to sit uh, when it comes to food. But we, we operate with a full kitchen and a full menu, uh, so, you know, we, I mean, we're extremely disappointed right now. Uh, we expected, uh, there to be some concessions when it came down to this. And it just, again, it shows you that the provincial government does not consult our industry when it comes to these, to just these decisions. I want to ask you about financial aid in a moment, but just, uh, just for my own clarification. So the, the license you have, is it, is it technically a beverage room or like what, what would it, what's it officially called? My license is officially called an entertainment license. Okay. So uh, in other words, we, uh, when we provide live music or live entertainment, it just means that we can actually fill our place with more capacity based on square footage. Okay, now the Chamber of Commerce and other business advocates have been pushing for some sort of targeted measures that would provide financial aid to businesses like yours. What would you like to see? Well, you know, I I think that uh, our province needs to look at something like they do in Quebec, uh, even Saskatchewan, our neighbours there. Uh, I mean, Quebec alone has about $100 million just sitting there uh, for government grants 
specifically for our industry. And when I hear the minister say, oh, well, you know, we're not ready to look at that yet. I'm assuming they're just going to wait for businesses to just go out of business and then maybe look at it. That's a terrible way to be. I mean, we need to be more proactive. Unfortunately, our province, we've noticed this, and many people can say that, have been very reactive. And uh, I really, truly hope it's going to change, but I haven't seen that at all since we've been going through this. Chris, I was going to use those terminologies exactly, uh, reactive versus proactive. Why do you think we're here seven and a half, almost eight months later, reacting to a situation uh, based on a, on a decision that this government knew was in the offing. It was one of the arrows in their quiver, so to speak. Yeah, I'll put it to you this way. They knew that there was a second wave coming. They're the professionals. They're the ones that we're supposed to be looking to. Uh, we were still operating, like our industry was still operating at a 50% capacity, and uh, the government opened up uh, the borders uh, of Manitoba to the west and to northwestern Ontario. We fought that. I can tell you right now, we fought that hard. And people need to remember, if it wasn't for the people of Manitoba, our government would have had the borders open to Ontario and Quebec. We must remember that. That is our government. And so now what happens, instead of them being able to look in the mirror, they pick and choose scapegoats. And what they've done is now our industry is a scapegoat. We are essentially to the government, the poverty industry. It's easy for them to nail us. And hey, it's not about me. It's not about profits right now. It's about making sure my staff survive and that friends of mine in this industry survive. And we're getting probably pretty sick and tired of just getting beat on. You know, Chris, I, I mean, I can the, the frustration you must be feeling just to hold it together right now, I, can, I can't imagine what you're going through because there's been ups and downs so many times in the last seven months. And just when you think you're getting ahead, something comes along that puts you further behind. That, that said, though, the, the worry and the concern from, from health officials is about people being in too close contact together and, you know, maybe going to pubs or nightclubs or other and, and talking loudly and, and you know, um, not wearing their masks properly and all those kinds of things. And so have you seen behaviors that would give you cause for concern in your own establishment? Is there an appreciation for why we, how we at least got here? Listen, there has not been a known transmission case in a restaurant or a bar since September 26th. You know, that's actually a couple of days before even Level Orange was even announced. So I understand safety. I mean, we have been practicing safety since we started. I can tell you that. We make sure that social distancing is happening. But here is the gut punch. This is the gut punch. The gut punch is places like myself and other places that are doing a good job out there have to shut our doors while repeat offenders, and I'm going to call them out right now, Shays Lounge, they get to stay open because of their license. If you can tell me that that is fair, then I will walk the other way and I'll stick my head in the sand. So you've you posted also on social media that you've, I mean, you've been innovative through this process uh, to, to keep the doors open or to keep your staff working, and now you've uh, shifted gears once again. What's the new plan? Yeah, so, all right, every, sometimes great things come out of terrible things, and this is one of those things, again, where another pivot, we're, uh, we're actually going to be starting our own in-house delivery system. So we're going to be able to keep our staff going. And uh, one of the cool things, too, is because we're not the only industry that hurts. There's a lot of other people out there that are as well. And we really believe 
in uh, charitable things. And so we're also partnering with Habitat for Humanity. And uh, 10% of every takeout order is also going to go to them. It's also going to be able to keep my staff going for as long as this is. And literally, you just got to go to our website, kingshead.ca. It's on our homepage. um, And there's no third-party delivery. It's delivered right to uh, your door by our staff that would bring it to your table. Chris, thanks for this, and uh, we wish you plenty of luck on this. If you get any outreach, if the government reaches out to you, we'd love to hear about that and and find out uh, what conversations are happening, if any. And uh, all we can do is uh, uh, thank you for your time this morning and, and wish you luck on this latest pivot. Listen, I appreciate that. And I really, there's a couple of listeners out there that sometimes will post on our social media Man, hopefully we can stop hearing him whine on CGOB. I just want to say, I just want to say to those people, thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and we thank them too. Chris Graves is the owner of the Kingshead, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And listen, Kingshead is one of those Winnipeg iconic places. I think. I mean, you don't even have to have gone to Kingshead Pub. To, everybody knows about the Kingshead Pub. And because of what we talked about earlier, it's 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 a jack of all trades, right? It's a restaurant, it's a pub, it's a bar, it's a nightclub, you know, it has a concert. You can go see concerts there. Uh, they they, they kind of do everything. So it's a really unique spot. Well, you know, I know I've told this story on air before, but I'm going to tell it very quickly again. It was impressed upon me very early in my restaurant career, over 25 years ago. We had a power outage at the restaurant I was running in Vernon, BC. It was a Monday night. It wasn't super busy, but you wouldn't believe the story, the the abuse I took from my regional manager because I didn't find a way to keep the doors open for that one Monday night. And he laid out for me very clearly the idea that never mind a week, never mind two weeks, one night of lost business in the restaurant industry could cost you your entire operation. And if you don't believe that, I'd be happy to sit down virtually with you and explain to you the profit margins are very thin and depending on the night of the week that you lose how much money is involved so this is not somebody crying wolf this is somebody trying to save their business very passionately and um I can't speak from the heart enough about this if the government's listening this morning there are a lot of people that are suffering right now they're good people they work hard and they want to work Open a door to communication to help save these businesses and 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 these people save their livelihoods. And a yeah. question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. Before we reveal that question, Loren, I jumped on you there. What were you going to say? No, no, not at all. I just think, you know, if you're, you're in government right now, you know there are tools at your disposal to help people out. And the answer to the question of, well, what kind of financial aid is going to be coming and saying that it's too soon in this, it was too, it, it, that's not an acceptable response anymore. We're seven and a half months into this. They need some help now if they're going to be hit again. And the question is, should the province be providing financial aid to restaurants that have an entertainment license and have to shut down for two weeks? Yes or no? Cast your vote, cjob.com. That question is actually a work in progress. We are sort of adjusting the question as we went through that segment. Uh, But you can weigh in, cjob.com.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Text message from Erica at 204-780-6868 on close calls because we're asking you to share your close call stories. Erica says, I had a close call about two decades ago on Keniston or whatever it's called by the airport. What is that, King Edward at that point? Or Probably, is that, uh, yes. Or what's, the, what's the one that goes the other way? Century. Century. We'll just call it Route 90. Yeah. It was around 2 a.m., and my friend and I were the only car on the road, but we soon saw headlights in front of us coming the wrong way up the one-way street. I flashed my headlights to let them know, but the car then sped up and aimed right for us. I managed to swerve at the last second with millimeters to spare, and I've never forgotten it. I'm still shaken by the experience. So keep your close call stories coming. It's inspired by a story out of Edmonton where three cars smashed in, or a car, pardon me, one car smashed into three houses on Saturday night. No one was hurt, thankfully, uh, but it could have been absolutely disastrous. So keep those texts coming, and we'll pick a winner after 9 35 and give away some Santa Lucia pizza. It doesn't have to be a vehicular close call. Like it could be, you know, you're walking down the street and an anvil almost fell on your head. Isn't the isn't wasn't always an anvil that would fall on the wily coyote? Or a piano? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes and yes. That's right. I'm just picturing the piano. Didn't he didn't he end up with some of the piano keys in his mouth? That, that was one episode. <laughs> very, that's a very good uh, memory. <laughs> Seen that and and when he's walking around, jing, 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 dong, dong, tong, tong. yeah, very good, well done. But he didn't have his, el- his uh, umbrella to save him. That's why. <laughs> That's right, of course. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, we're going to give away that Santa Lucia pizza based on all of your amazing close call stories. You have shared some harrowing stories, some funny stories, some just really heartfelt stories. And we have our winner at 204-780-6868. But we just want to revisit our question of the day quickly. Brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. And I mentioned this earlier. That the question was a work in progress, and we've changed the wording on this a few times now. Uh, so we're gonna. This is the latest version that we're gonna try. It's basically the same question, but it's just the wording. Getting down to brass tacks here. Should the province be providing financial aid to food service establishments? Given that they have to... No, hang on a second. That was my first draft. See, I've got so many drafts of this question that day. Here we go. Should the province be providing financial aid to food service establishments that have to close for the next two weeks based on how they're licensed? You can cast your vote at cjob.com. We're talking about places like King's Head Pub. We're talking about places like Four Crowns Restaurant on uh, McPhillips at the Four Crowns Hotel. That one's uh, licensed, I believe, as a beverage room. Chris Graves, Loren, what did he say? They're an entertainment, right? They have an entertainment license. And yeah, like I get it. They do do, that's what he says when they have bands, right? They might have that upstairs place open because they've got a couple of levels at the King's Head where they can do different kinds of events. So it might just be you go there for supper. You might just go there for a drink, but you also have, they also have in the past had other options. And he's one of those many establishments that have been, I feel, caught in this gray area because yes, their license is entertainment. They're not licensed is a restaurant but i just went and looked at their menu you go there for breakfast you go there for lunch a sandwich or a burger you can get vindaloo pasta all sorts of things for supper and then of course there's a pub menu as well in terms of nachos and kind of those those side dishes that you want so they they in my mind they are a pub or a restaurant but because of how they're licensed they now have to close for two weeks and they're saying hang on like, can we not fix this? This doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And more than that, not just those kinds of establishments, but the question was put to the health minister Friday, and it's going to be asked again today. You can bet on it. 
Is there not going to be an aid package of some sort for these people in this line of work who have been suffering and perhaps some of the hardest hit in the last seven months? And I get that the question was uh, perhaps confusing, but I think that's part of the point on this is that this whole thing is confusing. As I mentioned earlier, and for those just tuning in, I was talking to Greg and Loren yesterday and I was trying to think of other establishments like I was looking up different restaurants that are similar or different establishments I won't say restaurants different establishments that are similar to King's Head that serve see, food to see if they yeah to see if they were under if they were posting that hey we got to close you know places like Bar Italia or I think of a place like Underdogs uh, I was just like trying to figure out who's going to be open today and who's going to be closed. Uh, so, yeah, this whole thing is just confusing, and it just feels like uh, I get that they had to institute this policy, but they there doesn't seem to be any thought given to the – there's no thought given to the the shades of gray, as it were. And, and guys many, like the King's Head take it in the chin. Right. And how many different establishments are we talking about here? And why wouldn't the goal be to keep as many people open as possible that can prove that they can do it safely? as opposed to some sort of blanket rule without any consideration. Because I can guarantee you there are going to be some places that are bars and nightclubs that go, well, we, we can we can pivot too. Well, why shouldn't they be allowed to, to pivot as well in order to keep their doors open when the pandemic is over and when we can return to some sort of normal? Why wouldn't we want to find a solution to that problem as opposed to going the other way and saying, well, because this is what kind of, this is what type of license you have. So therefore you fall under this type of closure. And it can't be that many establishments in this city because we had a hard time trying to think of places that might be similar. And if you know of some others, we I want worry to hear that it's from more you. than we think of. That's my well, concern now because Friday when I heard this restriction, I did not count places like this on that list. And so I'm wondering, and that's again, we'd love to hear from business rest, <laughs> bars, establishments. I don't even know what to call them now. <laughs> the, the pubs of the world who really in, in operate as restaurants at a good percentage of the time, but now might, might be in this quagmire. And so my worry is that, you know, at the time I thought, okay, nightclubs, I get that casinos, that makes sense. I understand they're worried about closed contact. Oh, wait, wow, these guys are on the list too. So I'd love to know how many are we actually talking about. If it's just a handful, then I, I, I perhaps I get it. I can say, you know what, sometimes some people have to, to, to be the ones that unfortunately have to pay the price. But, it, but even then, this is an industry that has been looking to the province for months now and saying, hello, over here, can anybody weigh it? help us out and the answer on friday was it's too early to answer the question on financial aid and and i think maybe that was in response to okay we've gone into these new level of restrictions we're not going to talk about financial aid right now except for that the restrictions have gotten up and down and up and down for many folks in this industry and they were looking for help a long time ago but if it happens to be only a handful of of places that are falling under this gray area, if we want to describe it that way, then that's an even stronger argument for sorting this out and sorting right. it out quickly and having an individual conversation with those locations, with those enterprises that want to stay open. They want to do it safely. Just tell us how we can do it. Can we not, you know, we had the whole issue without, with patios and, and the city of Winnipeg, they fast-tracked your, your patio application 
implications very early in the pandemic. And then there were some discussions about, well, what constitutes an enclosed patio? What's going to be allowed in the winter? And so we know that there have been a couple of different locations, a couple of different restaurants that maybe took things too far in the eyes of the city. And so now they've also instituted something that we've never had before. Winter patios, because there were concerns about heaters and and how hot those heaters need to be, because having a heater on a patio in Manitoba is not an unusual thing, but to have a patio open in the winter and to have those heaters going full on and cranked right up to the top all the time potentially has some other issues. The city has said, we're going to look at those things and let's find a solution. I think that's what we're asking for here is some hard work to find a solution for for businesses that that want to work within the existing umbrella of restrictions. They don't want to be shut out. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Cast your vote at cjob.com. We're also going to just add a little disclaimer on the tweet uh, that we put out as well. And you can vote as well on Instagram at 680CJOB. Now, we've got to give away some pizza, some Santa Lucia pizza, based on your close call stories. And we got some just really... You remember the TV show from the 80s? I think it was a Steven Spielberg show, Amazing Stories. You remember that, Loren? That they one? really went uh, creative with that title. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> amazing. It was just quite simply <laughs> just some amazing, amazing stories. stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have received some amazing stories at 204-780-6868. And why don't we start uh, with Bill, who says, I peed a little on this one. We are picking up a van from Montana coming back through Alberta in a snowstorm. I looked at my buddy and asked, what are those lights coming at us head on? It was a fuel truck with two tanker trailers that drove through the ditch, managed to not roll over and just missed us as I was fishtailing with a van on my trailer. That was a change your shorts moment from Bill. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Navy says, uh, I attended college in Thunder Bay in the mid-1970s. One of my summer jobs was working in construction, laying water pipe. One day we were laying pipe on the outskirts of Arthur Street in Fort William. That's how far back that goes. Port Arthur, Fort William, of course, now Thunder Bay. It, uh, uh, the crane lowered a pipe into the eight-foot ditch. I was in the ditch, and my job was to line up the pipe to join them together. The crane operator and the foreman got into an argument up above. I heard screaming and yelling above. The crane operator dropped the ball and hook on top of me and shut the crane down just as the hook landed on top of my hard hat and split it in half. I was oblivious to what was going on, and I was as I was concentrating on my job, the foreman was shaking so hard, he walked me back to his truck, offered me a drink. I declined. Talk about thanking my lucky stars. Wow, that's crazy. Joanne's story also has been rem- reminiscent of other people's stories this morning. She says they were going down Keniston. They're, sorry, they were planning to turn left on Keniston. She was doing her mascara in the car. Her husband was driving. The light turned green, but he said, I'm going to wait until you're done. And in that split second... Of him waiting for her to be done doing her mascara, a car ran the red light, and if they had been in the intersection, they would have been hit on the driver's side. So needless to say, her husband was very thankful that she was doing her makeup that morning. Otherwise, he would never have not proceeded. He would have just driven right in, and and we've heard that story a bunch of times, right? That split-second moment where you don't put your foot on the gas right away, or you turn and look just in the nick of time, or you let your wife finish putting on her mascara, which is an aside, is very kind of her husband. (laughs) 
Like I, I, I feel like the opposite happens. If I pull out my mascara, my husband's like, oh, I'm going to floor it, see what happens here. <laughs> That was always a, a scary moment for me when if I was dating someone and they were putting on their makeup while I was driving uh, and I would I would drive a little bit slower and I would apply the brakes a little bit sooner uh, because, I, you know, putting on makeup at the best of time, like in perfect conditions, I would not be able to do it. Doing it in a moving vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. But so for uh, people with much stronger skill sets than, than you or I, Brett, yeah, yeah, I, would, I couldn't manage that. I would just, if I were to try to put on makeup, it would just be like a child. Like you might as well just give me some markers and I'll just paint marker on my face because that's what it would look like anyway. <laughs> Same result. I'm going to read Jason's text and then I think we've uh, got our winner. We already read it. So Greg, I'll get you to read that in a moment. But Jason's text, another crazy story here. This goes to 2012. He says, still living in Vancouver, but came to Manitoba where my wife was from to get married out here. A few days after, while driving back to the coast, we just passed Moose Jaw when the temperature absolutely plummeted from 35 degrees plus. Uh, it, it dropped at least 10 to like 10 degrees and the horizon got hazy. Growing up on the coast, I had always dismissed softball hail and tornadoes in Canada as gargantuan exaggeration. Well, we drove right into this olive green storm on Highway 1 as I loved storms. 30 seconds later, the rain was too thick to drive through. 30 seconds more, it proceeded to sound like someone was destroying our car with a golf club. Windshield cracking up with each blow. I pulled over and snuggled our vehicle in between a semi and a large camper van. As soon as the car stopped moving, I looked back at a road covered with hail as though the sky dumped a load of russet potatoes on us. Then the car started moving. The front swaying right and left from the wind. Hail or not, we weren't staying put and began driving to get past the storm. Two minutes later, we had blue sky and parked to assess the damage. On the radio, an alert went out that not one but two tornadoes had crossed the highway in our area. When we pulled into Swift Current, there was a stream of vehicles pulling into town with smashed windshields, crushed roofs, campers with doors torn off, etc. Needless to say... I'll never question the authenticity of a Canadian tornado or softball hail story again. LOL. Wow. Can I say I think Jason probably would have won had yeah. we not got this text from Todd. Yeah. And I think everyone who sent in your harrowing highway stories and near misses on the on the highway front and in traffic uh, will agree that uh, Todd's story was so powerful, has such a great message that we have really no choice but to uh, give the pizza to Todd. About seven years ago, I nearly lost my life. I had a serious drug problem due to my depression and multiple other things. Anyway, that drug problem landed me in prison where I overdosed. My heart stopped. Prison guard had to give me CPR, breaking my ribs in the process. There was no Narcan in the facility because there were over 100 doses given out in the past month, and it was all used up. I share the story because it helps me in my recovery. I've been sober for almost four years now. I know it helps other people as well with their addiction problems, amongst other things, to ward off people and warn them to follow, not to follow the same path. I've completely changed my life now and, and own my own business, plus supervise another business. Todd, thank you so much for sharing that intimate story with us. Uh, our our uh, absolute privilege to award you the text of the day and the Santa Lucia pizza. And we will be getting in touch with Todd. And thank you to all who texted us at 204-780. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.